Um, the main idea today, the bottom line up front is this. In order to experience freedom and abundant life, we must take extreme ownership of our mistakes. In order to experience freedom and abundant life in this life and beyond, we must take extreme ownership of our mistakes. So there was a time uh, about a year and a half ago when we were pre-COVID and we could actually do things together. And I went to a training in Volk Field in Wisconsin. Now, it was uh, a great training. We got to go with all the, the whole wing. Everybody went out there. And one of the things that I was told before I got out there is, okay, be prepared. You know, it's, it's August and there are ticks. And, and so be prepared because you'll probably encounter some ticks. So I'm like, I need to get something for this because I hate ticks. That's one of my number one things that I just cannot stand. One time I went out hiking, I got like four ticks all over my body. Grossest thing ever. Grosses me out. So I made sure I was prepared. I went to the store and I bought the very best tick medicine off whatever it is, deep woods, you know, the one. And I, I got that. And I was like, okay, this is my protection. I placed a very high value on my off tick spray. And so as we're going through there uh, into this training event, one of the things that we had to do was go through the woods and find an item using, you know, a compass and things like that, which I was terrible at, by the way. Yeah, I bet you already knew that. But in order to, to do this, we had to go through weeds. We had to go up through brush that was about this high, and then we had to go through the woods in the middle of August with ticks. And so I had my trusty bottle of off um, anti-tick spray, and I was spraying myself down. I put it down. And you know what happened? My religious affairs airmen and my other chaplains, they start using my off tick spray. And, and you know what? There's another spray over here that the Army or the Air Force provided. And they could have used that, but they used mine. I was mad. I was mad. That is my tick spray. Don't you understand that that's for me? Because that is offering me the protection that I need. I was really upset, and I could tell that my wing chaplain um, was picking up on this. He could tell that I was getting upset with this, and later on, he confronted me. He's like, Tim, what happened there? I said, well, I brought that so that I would be protected from the ticks. I brought that specifically for me, and he said, you know, in the military, there's a different kind of culture here. It's a culture in which we share things together, and that's just how it is. If you brought one thing for yourself, then it, it shares to everybody else. We share things, and that's what makes the brotherhood, the bond, so great. You know, it took me a while to figure this out, but uh, eventually, like, I was like, you know what? I'm wrong. I, I really need to apologize for this. And so I went around uh, to all my religious affairs airmen, and, and I went through and I apologized to them one by one. And I think saying I'm sorry is one of the hardest things that we have to do. Because there has to be a change in us. There has to be humility. There has to be an awareness of our issues. But also, it, it, it's, it's sort of like something we just don't want to do. We feel kind of dirty saying, I'm sorry. We, we feel like it, it's going to go against our ego. You know, it attacks our worth as a human being. But you know what? What's interesting is, is we all mess up. We all have loads of opportunities to say we're sorry. You know, one of the, the nicest guys that I've ever met, um, he's James Parks. He's a clergy person in Davenport. 
If you ever watch Mr. Rogers, like imagine Mr. Rogers um, here on earth today, right? And, and that's what you got. You got James Parks. He's the United Methodist pastor in Des Moines, or in Davenport. And what's interesting with him is he, he was kind of a troublemaker when he was a kid. Um, in fact, there was one time he, he told the story in our clergy group as we were preparing for the sermon. He said, you know, I, I climbed up on my neighbor's roof, and it was a pretty hot day. And I noticed that the shingles, they were really moldable. And he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. So he kept molding them back and forth, bend and bend, and then they'd break off. And then he's like, oh, wow, this makes a really good Frisbee. So he kept on taking the, the things and, and the shingles and, and throwing them like Frisbees throughout the yard, and it really made his neighbor upset. Well, as you can guess, the neighbor wanted him to replace them and pay for them. And so his mom actually said, okay, here's the money for it. You have to go over and give him the money. You have to help him put the shingles back up, and then you have to say you're sorry. So he did. You know, even today when I do premarital counseling, one of the things that we talk about is forgiveness. Because if you don't have forgiveness in a marriage, it's not going to work. In fact, what I talk about is a culture of forgiveness, one in which we mutually forgive each other. Because if you can't learn to forgive your spouse— it's just not going to last. You know, today we're going to have a reminder that we're not perfect, that we all need to confess. We're going to tell one of the most um, well-known stories throughout the Bible, which is Luke chapter 15, starting with uh, verse 11. And we're only going to go just a little bit into it today, but we're going to talk about a young man who had a desperate need to say he's sorry. So, Scripture starts off, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, sent off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. He had spent everything he had, and there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the fields, the field pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, it's a key phrase, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against you, against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We ask that you will challenge us by it today. Help us to live by it. Help us to see a need to forgive, uh, to confess, so that we can obtain forgiveness by you and others. Pray this in your name. Amen. So this parable is like any other parable. It's not a true story. It's not true in that it happened, but it is true in that it happens. You get what I mean there? It's not true in that it happened, but it is true in that it happens. We, we all know people who go out and squander their wealth and who have to come back kind of like saying, you know what, I, I messed up. Take me back in. And I think we find ourselves in the story because we've all had times in which we have done wrong, maybe sometimes really, really bad things, we have to come back and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so let's start out at the very beginning. Uh, this younger brother asked for his inheritance. 
Basically, what that meant was he was going to get one-third of what the father owned. Um, back then, the uh, oldest would actually get a double portion. So the, since there's only two sons, um, the oldest son would get two-thirds. The youngest son would get one-third. All right. Now, this would have shocked the first century audience uh, that Jesus is teaching to. Basically, what they're hearing and what we should hear, too, is that the younger son is basically telling his father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so that I can get your money. You know, it, inheritance is, is kind of one of those things that if you really want to make somebody mad, um, mess with inheritance. Um, my great-grandmother, she didn't have much at all, um, but near the end of her life, her estranged son, biological son, came back. Um, he basically took a new will and had her sign it that gave everything to him. Now, he was actually written out of her original will. It's revolting, isn't it? Today, even to this day, we, we still think that is the lowest form of human being. It's a revolting act. And so what Jesus does right off the bat is he gets the attention of the crowd. He gets the attention, and they're like, there's no way the Father's going to give him the money. And you know what the Father does? He gives him the money. Now, we don't know why the Son makes the request. Maybe he wants some freedom. Maybe he's under the thumb of the Father and the older Son. Maybe maybe he's young and he's dumb. I mean, we've all been young before. We've all been um, we've all done dumb things. Uh, maybe he's been living in a small town. He wants to experience life in the big town. We don't know why he asked for it, but what we do know is that he's gotten the money and he goes off to a faraway land. And what is next is very predictable. He goes out to this faraway land and he spends up all the money. And then he's in poverty because something bad happens. He doesn't think about, you know, saving up a little bit extra. He's in poverty. And there's a verse in there that says, verse, six, uh, verse 17, it says, He came to his senses. As he's longing to eat the pig slop, which, have you ever seen pig slop? It's, it's not very good. As he's longing to eat that, it says he comes to his senses. And this is where the story pivots. But what does it mean? What does it mean when it says he's come to his senses? It means that he's hit rock bottom. He sees things clearly now. He's ready to humble himself, ready to take that long journey home. And I ask, I want to ask you this, have you ever been there before? Have you ever gotten to the end of your rope and you come to your senses and you think, I've been just going the wrong way all my life or for a long time now, and I just, I just need to make things right. I need to go back home. And so his only path really is home, home or death. And he begins that shameful walk. And as he walks, he kind of wonders what's going through his head. Now, throughout this season of Lent, we're, we're doing the Psalms. And the Psalms are the songs of the heart. They're the playlist of the early uh, Israelite church. So these Psalms would have been known by the whole community of faith. And so it's very likely that as he's walking home in a very shameful manner, Psalm 51 could be playing through his head. Now, Psalm 51 is one of those psalms that if you've ever really messed up and you read it, you find yourself there. And so what I want to do is I want to read just a small portion of it, and then we'll talk about confession. So listen now to Psalm 51, verses 1 um, and, and through 5. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. 
According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then it continues on. Continues on and it really, it finds hope after that. But I wanted to read you that because that's the depth of the sin that he felt. There was deep shame. There was remorse. He's walking home with his head between his legs. He is ready to take ownership of his failure. He's ready to confess and take whatever punishment is coming to him. And we're going to stop that story right now because I want to I focus in on confession. Basically saying I'm sorry. Making things right or at least starting to. And I want to give you three reasons why it's important for us as humans. doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. Three reasons why we need to confess. First reason is this. Sin, or if you don't want to use that word, mistakes, they're relational. And confession mends the relationships that are broken. Uh, verse 4, it says, Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. See, the son, as he's walking home, he, he understands that he has sinned against heaven and also against his father but also against his brother against his mother against his community this is a, a sin that that's larger than just him see his irresponsibility his desire to go out and make it on his own actually is a sin that rippled throughout the community and i think that's what sin does sin doesn't just affect us there's no such thing as a victimless crime all crimes ripple throughout the community. They have an effect not only on you, but on your neighbors, on your family, on the people around you. You know, Ravi Zacharias, um, some of you have heard about him before. He was a great Christian teacher, uh, great with apologetics, and, um, you know, just had this phenomenal ministry. And it just came out just a, a few weeks ago that throughout his whole ministry, he was basically going around and having affairs. And all the credibility, all the trust, all the good things that he has done, they're now impacted by his sin. You see how that sin just ripples throughout the community? I mean, when I heard about this, I was, I was shocked. And it, it took me down two or three levels. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe a guy that seemed that close to God would be that far away from God as well. And it still, frankly, still really bothers me. I hate to see Christians fall like that. But sin is relational, and confession means that we mend our relationships. The second thing that we learn is that true confession takes extreme ownership, and ownership eats excuses. Verse 3, it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, what the son does is as he comes home, he never makes an excuse. He doesn't say, I was taken advantage of. He didn't say that, you know, it was the famine that, that caused it. If it wasn't for that famine, I would be fine. He doesn't say that people, you know, um, sold my money or, or whatever. No, he just, 
says, I'm, I'm going to own it. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to own it. And, and in many ways, that's a very difficult thing to do. To say, you know what, I sinned. I'm not going to blame anyone else. It's on me. You know, an officer training, um, basically, if you were to make an excuse, that meant pain for you. If, if you said, well, well, I, I didn't know what time the, the class was supposed to start, sir. Well, did you check your schedule? No. Did you talk to your peers? Did you ask around? No. Then it's on you. It's your fault. You know, and, and basically, it it's always goes back to you. They find a way to make it so there's no such thing as an excuse. And I think that's honestly a great way to live. You know, in, in the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Lewillikin, um, great book. If you have a chance, read that book. Basically, he talks about taking extreme ownership of your life. And I want to read you a direct quote from this. And it, it's kind of intense. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL, or he was. And now he goes around teaching leadership courses. And, and this is what he says. He says, take ownership. Take extreme ownership. Don't make excuses. Don't blame any other person or any other thing. Get control of your ego. Do not hide your delicate pride from the truth. Take ownership of everything in your world, the good and the bad. Take ownership of your mistakes. Take ownership of your shortfalls. Take ownership of your problems. And then take ownership of your solutions and get those problems solved. Take ownership of your mission. Take ownership of your job, of your team, of your future. Take ownership of your life and lead. Man, those are powerful words. Powerful words. I wish I would have known those in my 20s. I wish I would have known those words when I first came here seven years ago. Because over the last seven th years, I've done some dumb things. I, I have failed to contact people um, after deaths. I have failed to follow up with people. I have failed um, by dropping the ball on ministries. And I own that. And there's no excuse for that. The only thing I can say is I repent of those things. I confess those things. And I'm going to move on trying to be a better person. There's a truth here. And this is really a biblical truth. We cannot move forward if we're busy making excuses for our past. Okay, listen to that again. We cannot move forward if we're busy making excuses about our past. You know, Jesus doesn't want a partial repentance. He wants a full repentance. You know, we'll say, well, you know, God, I'm sorry for my sins. But you know what? It really wasn't my fault because if that person was, wasn't doing that, or, you know, God, I, I really didn't know um, that that was something I shouldn't be doing. I, I didn't know all this stuff would happen because of it. Repentance is required before we listen, before we follow to G Jesus Christ. Repentance is required before we follow Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to this. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 14. The very first uh, part of Mark, and, and basically this is the... The, the mission that Jesus Christ has. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of, of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Repent, see? Repent and believe the good news. We cannot move forward if we do not own our mistakes. We need to confess our sins in order to move forward with Jesus Christ. We need to confess our sins in order to move forward with others in relationship. And true confession takes extreme ownership, and ownership eats excuses. 
If you take 100% ownership of your problems, then you will have no room for excuses. Last thing that we learn is this, confession is freedom. Now you might not think about that. Uh, It might sound kind of counterintuitive, but confession is freedom. Uh, Listen to verse 12. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is after he's confessed. He's saying, grant me um, restoration, Lord. You know, this psalm, Psalm 51, was actually written by King David. And it was written by King David after that Bathsheba incident. And, and basically what, what had happened was the king was supposed to be out at war with um, his, his military. But instead he chose to stay home. And while he's staying at home, he saw a young, beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop naked. And so he sees her, he wants her, and he brings her over into his palace, and he sleeps with her. And then she gets pregnant. And so he tries to cover up the mistake by having her husband killed in battle. And he dies, and he takes Bathsheba in to be his wife, and he thinks, you know, I think I've gotten away with this. But you know, even when you get away with something, you know how you don't really get away with it because it still nags at you? If you have any sense of integrity, if you know you've done something horribly wrong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. It's going to follow you. It's going to fester in your life. And I think this is what happened with David. And it really wasn't until Nathan the prophet came up and said, you know what? God knows what you did. God knows everything. It wasn't until that moment that David finally repented and said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And you can almost hear the words of relief from David, I'm, I'm sorry. But it doesn't mean there weren't any consequences. In fact, David had some severe consequences. The first thing God says is the sword will never depart from your house now. Three of David's sons would be killed. David and his wives were humiliated. David's son that he had with Bathsheba died. But you know what? Holding that sin in, David was a a slave to it. It was keeping him in bondage. You know, the the office, my kids are going to love this. The office, it says, secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. It's true. Secrets hurt you. They hurt other people. But in particular, we're going to focus on you. See, if you have secrets that you're keeping, you ruminate on them. You focus on them. They become kind of the center of your world. And, and the more you try to hide them, the more you try to keep them away from other people, the, the more stress and anxiety that you have. You re- really become um, a slave to your secrets. But you know what confession does? Confession reaches, releases us from that bondage. Confession allows us to focus on things outside of our sins. Confession helps us to live again, to breathe easy to be free to change and to move forward. And that's why confession is so powerful. So this is not the end of the story. Next week we're going to hear the Father's response. But this week is all about the simple truth that we all mess up. And the simple truth is this too. We mess up, but we can all come to our senses. We can all turn back home to God. Jesus says, repent and believe. And so my question for you is, do you have a sin in your life that you need to confess to God? Or maybe it's a sin that in your life that you need to confess to somebody else. Do you need to take extreme ownership for your actions, for your behaviors, for your faults? 
Like the bottom line up front says, in order to experience freedom in the abundant life, we must take extreme ownership of our mistakes. So I want to end with a quote today. And I, I think this is just a powerful quote. This comes from Timothy Keller, great pastor, great theologian. And he's talking about repentance. And he says this. He says that repentance, which is confessing and turning a new direction, is a fuse that ignites God's radical love for us. Let me say that again. Repentance, which is confessing and turning a new direction, is a fuse that ignites God's radical love for us. Think about that. What would it look like if the power of God exploded in our lives? If in our community we created a culture of confession, of repentance, in which we were able to say, you know what, I messed up there, I'm so sorry. I'm going to take ownership of that. We're going to move forward. What would it look like if, if we all had freedom because we weren't weighed down by our shame? That is powerful. And, and you know what we can do with all that extra time, all that extra energy? We can actually experience the freedom of Jesus Christ in our lives. We can experience healthy relationships. We can experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God right here and right now. And all it requires is us as believers, to confess our sins. And so now what we're going to do is, as we go into the closing prayer, I'm going to just give you an opportunity to bring your sins before God. To lay them all out and say, you know what? I lay these at the feet of the cross. And so we're going to have a moment of silence, and I'll end it with a prayer. So let us bow our heads. Confess your sins to God in this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we had the opportunity to be forgiven. We thank you that you are a God who does forgive us. Help us to come to our senses in our life. Help us to name the sins that hold us back, that hold us back from truly having the abundant life, truly having freedom with you, Lord. Lord, we know that those sins can hold us in bondage, but you came to break that bondage, to, to release the captives, to make us free. And so today, Lord, we nail these sins on the cross. We lay them before your throne and we say, Lord, we are done with them. The shame will not bind us anymore. We are yours. We confess of our sins and we proclaim, we believe in you, Jesus Christ. And we're ready to go a new direction, a direction without sin, a direction that points us toward abundant life. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.